Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Huai Chen Bui. I'm a pop culture journalist in D.C. And with me are... I am Anya Crittenden, Associate Editor at The Tracking Board. And I am Obi Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. All right, guys. So today we're talking about a movie that came out just last week. It's uh, Star Wars Rogue One. And we're going to be doing our monthly millennial movie review. Rogue One, colon, A Star Wars Story, is the first Star Wars spin-off film that doesn't deal with the Skywalkers as a family drama. Because you know those Skywalkers, there's a lot of a lot of extra stuff going on there. <laughs> They're so um, extra. Oh my gosh, the Darth Vader extra memes on Tumblr have been amazing. They have like, been. He, he, it's like he's so dramatic. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so Rogue One is directed by Gareth Edwards. It's written by Chris Weitz and Tony Gilroy, and it stars Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, and Alan Tudyk, among a lot of other great people, like Donnie Yen. Um, it's a fantastic uh, supporting cast, uh, very diverse, probably the most diverse Star Wars has ever been. Um, and it takes place immediately before A New Hope. Uh, and we should say right up front, spoilers for... Basically, all Star Wars and also this movie. Yeah, uh, yes. Basically, you can't spoil like you can't watch this movie, and it's it's. What I really like in this movie too is Lincoln, the movie Lincoln, mm-hmm. uh, because okay. I remember watching that movie and being so enraptured by the dramatic of it of all, it, and I was like, "Are they going to pass the amendment?" Like I was so like caught up with it that I forgot that this is history what I'm watching has already happened and yes they do pass the amendment and so when I'm like oh my god are they going to get the Death Star plans to the rebels like what's happening here and I'm like of course I know they are and then yeah so it's like it's it's this interesting little historical piece if you if you will because we know what happens we know that these rebels get the Death Star plans and handed them off to the Tantive Four, and that's what opens a new hope and so this movie takes place right before that. So I really thought that was an interesting way of like doing the first spin-off movie. You know, they could have chosen literally any other time and place in space and they choose to do days leading up to the uh attack on the Death Star. So when you say spin-off movie, they're doing several of these, right? And are they going to be they're going to be anthology stories taking place throughout yeah. like the yeah. timeline of Star is- Wars? Yeah, the next one is the young Han Solo film by mm-hmm. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, the, 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 the one the after guy, that hasn't been announced. Yeah, the it, there was originally supposed to be one with Josh Trank directing a, a, a spinoff movie. Um, after his little kerfuffle with the New Orleans like hotel room s- system and like uh, the failure of Fantastic Four uh, and all the bad press around that, he kind of was kicked out of. Lucasfilm uh, and whatnot. So there is, I think there is still supposed to be a, a movie that comes out in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's unknown at this point who will be directing that and what the movie will be about. Um, right now, yeah, like as Anya said, in 2018, there's going to be Han Solo, a Star Wars story, which I'm assuming is what the title is going to be called. Um, and that's all stars Alvin and Ironreich. And Donald Glover. And Donald Glover. And Amelia Clark for whatever reason Wait, because Lucasfilm they... can't stop casting white brunettes. Yeah, did they we confirm know, Amelia we... Clark? Oh. Yes. yes. That's that disappointing. A, no, we don't know Agreed. who she's playing. We don't know who she's playing. We do know that Donald Glover's playing Lando Calrissian. Um, yeah, I mean I'm still hoping that Amelia Clark isn't the lead female in the film and she's just a supporting character, but we don't really know yet. Well, I'm guessing because they announced Han Solo and Lando Calrissian, and then the third major actress or the the, the major like person in the movie would be Amelia Clark, I think. But um, I, I mean, it's left to be I just, known. I just wanted either like a, a woman of color or be an actress who and... could act better. <laughs> She's not a great. Um... And, like, it's very clear that some of Lucasfilm has a type. Yeah. Yeah. The casting director, whoever it is. I remember, yeah, like, most... when I was reading up the news articles on the Han Solo spinoff, there were a bunch of 
actresses of color who were um, in line for that lead female role. So I guess Amelia Clark beat them all out, which is, yeah, unfortunate. Well, and that's why, actually, we don't know if she's the lead, because, like, Mm -hmm. the way the statement that Lucasfilm put out was a little weird. They just said that she'll be playing someone that, like, Han comes across in his travels. And that's, like, everyone in his life. So it could be it could be a supporting character, and the lead female hasn't been announced yet. Yeah. I'm still holding out hope. We have to have hope. My, I hope. My, my money is on the fact that because she's such a huge star in the Game of Thrones world, like, when you advertise Game of Thrones, you put Amelia Clark's face on it. Uh, I feel like that's where they're going, but who knows? Anyway, we should get back to Rogue One. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Which is what the episode's actually about. Yes. So, uh, what are your guys' thoughts on the movie? What did you think of it? It's the second Star Wars movie we've had in a year. It is. After after a drought of ten. I think that's part of the... Ten years of nothing. Before we start off into our thoughts, we're going to be dividing our movie review again by um, structure, character, and themes. Um, So... Let's talk a little bit about our um, overall thoughts, and then we'll dive into story structure and character and themes. So um, let's go with Willoughby first, because I know he's been anticipating this movie for um, since the last Star Wars movie. Yeah, so for the past year. Basically, Mm -hmm. once a new Star Wars movie comes out, I'm just excited for the next one, but Mm -hmm. while still basking in the glory of the one that I just saw. Um, If you can't tell already, I really liked Rogue One. I thought that it was really fun. I thought it was really funny. I thought that Alan Tudyk's character, the droid uh, K2SO, was phenomenal. I thought he never overstayed his his like joking welcome. Like I thought he always had like C3PO. <laughs> I, like I thought he was like he was he was almost like the perfect combination of R2D2 and C3PO. Like if R- if C3PO had the mouth of R2D2. He also reminded me a lot of um, Alan Rickman's character in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Very much so, except a little less depressed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and so I thought there was a lot of great humor in the movie. I thought that Donnie Yen ha- had a lot of great lines about like being blind. Like, they put a bag over his head at one point. He's like, really? <laughs> um, that was great. I laughed a lot at that, that line. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought that... Um, Overall, the story structure was a little muddled, muddied. Um, that the first two acts were a little oddly paced. Uh, it seems like at first they were skipping around pla- like planet after planet after planet, and then it all looks like the sim- the last uh, similarly gritty and dark planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Act Two was all on the water, on like a, a, not Camino, but it was a planet that rained a lot because there were a lot of hurricanes from from the from orbit you could see um and oh, it was edu that's right and then uh the third act i think was the best where it was just the fight the battle scene where it was classic star wars dividing up the battles of land basically land inside the main frame and then the, the in space uh i really loved uh how they have you know it, it reminded me of return of the jedi where you have like the people on endor you had Luke and uh, Darth Vader and the Emperor on the Death Star, and then you had the space battles going on with Lando and, and the Falcon. So I thought that that was like a, a nice like homage to that. Um, and I, I thought overall I really enjoyed it. Um, a lot of people have been taking shots at the at the fan service that's in the movie. Uh, I for one welcome, I for one welcome the fan service. Uh, fan service think- didn't bother me. Yeah, like I think this what is this is so much. This is a this is a movie that literally just is fan service. Like there's like this movie doesn't like its almost sole purpose is to be fan service. Well, I would actually argue that it's less fan servicey than Force Awakens, which was in, like entirely an homage to A New Hope. Like this plot see, structure here's... and the characters and very very uh, reflective of the first movie. Yes, yeah, but true. I felt like the fan service in Force Awakens was way more natural. Mm-hmm. The problem with Rogue One is that all the fan service stuck out like a sore thumb, and it felt very unnatural. So I'll say, as a casual Star Wars fan, at least more so than the two of you, it actually it didn't bother me that much. Like the only thing that bothered me was I was in a theater with a bunch of nerds who kept cheering at every moment. But <laughs> I and the bros stopped cheering for Darth Vader. Like, <laughs> he's not that cool, guys. 
I, I was, didn't look like an Obi Wan appearance. It didn't stick out too much for me, except for maybe like Tarkin and a CGI. Uh, First face. off, did the prequels teach us nothing about bad CGI? <laughs> like, I in this world, did Gareth Edwards think that was a good idea? I thought the, the only times it didn't work was when they did the profile shot of Tarkin, but I thought overall it, it worked well. No, I thought the CGI sorry. was terrible. It worked kind of with, uh, spoiler alert, Leia at the end. Yeah, we're spoiling the whole movie. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we'll be already got that out of the way. It worked a little bit with her because it was a brief scene and it was like five seconds long. Um, I actually disagree. I wish they didn't show her face. I, yeah, I kind of wish they didn't show her face either, but I thought back. it worked well enough um, yeah. that it didn't really um, take me out of the movie. I will say, I think what makes it what makes Tarkin for me is the voice acting. Whoever did the voice acting for Tarkin, I thought did a phenomenal job of recreating Peter Cushing's like very uh, um, singular style of speaking. Like, yeah, I well, that's he, the my problem is they should have just recast Peter Cushing. There was no need to do a CGI of him. Like he's not sacred enough that you can't recast him and just have a new Tarkin, or just have less Tarkin in the film. He was unnecessary. Ben Mendelsohn was a fantastic antagonist. I wish we had just gotten more. Like, Tarkin existed just to, like, reprimand Ben Mendelsohn's character. It was pretty redundant, yeah. 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 So, like, you didn't even need Tarkin in there. Like, my theory is that he was on the Death Star at the beginning of New Hope, so it makes sense that he's, if he's, like, on the Death Star in this movie, but... They or also at least less scenes of him. Like, yeah, like they, they didn't just need... kept cutting to him. I thought he was... I thought it was only going to be, like, a brief cameo, and then they kept going back to him. I thought, okay, I see where you're going. Um, so, if you guys can tell, Anya and I have um, a little are, are a little less glowing in our overall impression of Rogue One. I actually, I softened to the movie when I, after I watched it, like, I was a little bit cut, thrown off by, like Willoughby was saying, the really jumbled story structure, especially the first two acts, but I really like what the movie says thematically and, like, how ambitious it is. Although, you did say, Willoughby, that um, it was really funny. And, like, you really emphasize, like, how funny it was. But, like, that really didn't stick out for me. Like, yeah, there were funny fun lines. But I will say, well, I though, would like, say it's, like, it's not a comedy, but I mm-hmm. thought that there was a lot of humor throughout the movie. I thought, like, maybe not humor, but there was a lot of light to this movie. So you would expect a movie like this, a war movie, per se, the first Star Wars war movie, as Vox claimed a couple of days God. ago. Vox. <laughs> Um, it is, like, a very gritty, um, on-the-ground, on the dark film, especially for, like, where the characters end up. Um, but it's not grimdark, like a lot of the right. movies we've seen lately. It has, it's like, not Batman this, versus Superman. Yeah, yeah. It has this, um, through line of hope throughout it. I mean, like, the, the, like, the characters explicitly say, like, oh, we have hope. But I think that it's, 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 um, it's said, like... It's done through the actions as well. Like the tone of the movie itself feels very optimistic in the face of like certain death or certain like sacrifice and that kind of thing. So that's why I sort of agree with you, Willoughby, in terms of that. Like, yeah, the the humor I think is kind of reflective of that hopeful, optimistic atmosphere that this movie brings. And yeah, like I would... is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like funny. I, he he clearly has the most like of all the all like. He has, like, maybe 90, 90% of the humor lines mm-hmm. in the movie. Uh, but he's in it a lot, so yeah. I don't know. So, Anya, can yeah. you tell us a little more about your overall impression of Rogue One? It was fine. <laughs> it was fine. It was, um... That sound you I'm heard not... was my heart breaking a little bit. I okay. mean, mine too. I mean, <laughs> I'm not as big of a fan as you are, but I am pretty close to being a, as big a Star Wars fan as you are. I love Star Wars. Um... It's interesting that you bring up Lincoln, Willoughby, because to me, if you're going to do a film where you know the ending, the journey has to be so rewarding because it would have to be a journey over a destination type thing because we know our destination. Right. And I think that's why I struggle is that I don't think the journey in this film was very good. The Like we talked about, the first two acts are pretty weak, um, should have been way less plot and set up and more character development. Um, it's, it's a shame because like, I didn't care about the characters. I, but I was sad at the very end of the film because it was filmed well. Like they were really good at emotionally manipulating me into being sad about like harsh words on you. 
that Michael Giacchino score. Really, I mean, that always Giacchino sell, score. always sells you on the on the hard sell of emotion. Yeah. Now I believe I agree with you on that. That like, like when you want emotion in your movie, you get Michael Giacchino to, yeah, to direct to and do he did the score. So good. Oh, oh yeah, I love his. He scores. was amazing. Um, yeah. Um. So I, I just struggle because the journey wasn't very rewarding to me. And so it makes me wonder why was this story chosen? Like this very particular limited story right before a new hope. Why this one? Because they didn't seem to justify it to me. Why this one was kind of the most rewarding that they wanted to tell because I didn't connect with the characters. I liked the cast a lot. Like, so they sold the characters to me, but they weren't given enough. I think Cassian was probably the best developed, which we can get to when we get to characters more so. But I think I just struggled with just the structure of the film and, like, the journey. um, And, like, yes. And I also just don't like the fan service like we talked about. Like, for me, the fan service is a problem because, well, the CGI. Um, But also, they felt like they kept trying to just shoehorn it in into just being like, Star Wars cameo, like, we're still a Star Wars film, and I was like, I know it's a Star Wars film, that's why I'm here, that's why I'm watching the film, and it didn't work very, I wanted them to trust their film, it felt like they didn't trust their own film, to stand on its own two legs. So So I agree with you to an extent, Anya, but, (laughs) um, and I do agree that, like, the story has a lot of problems but I think that it was worth telling because it's something that the Star Wars universe has never really done before and I think that despite its flaws they did it well in sh- in servicing like in showing these um you know grunt soldiers who lay their life on the line um and are like you know their sacrifices aren't felt in the long run but it feels like in that moment they are big sacrifices that's my problem, though, is because that's exactly what I wanted. But so conceptually, more. this movie yes. is trying to do a lot, and I applaud it for its ambition more so than what it actually achieved. Yes, and when we get to themes, <laughs> we can talk about that more, because I love this movie thematically. Mm-hmm. It just didn't execute it well, and I think that's part of why I'm as disappointed as I am, is because I was so excited for this story, because mm-hmm. I love the unsung heroes. Like, I like rebels more than jedis i like the humans who are just doing this because they believe in the cause and i didn't get that as much as i wanted to and i felt like they just could have been stronger with that also i was promised a heist movie and that's not really what i got i never knew when did they ever say it was going to be a heist movie um was that the official star wars or was that what everyone was calling it Back when they first, like, announced Rogue One, and it was, like, a team plans to steal, like, the Death Star plans. Yeah. And I guess everyone just kind of latched on to that Mm. specifically, and so, like, I was like, yeah, like, a ragtag team of rebels, and they're gonna, like, steal the plans, and it's gonna be so much fun. And then it wasn't. (laughs) All right, so speaking of that, let's talk, um, let's dive into the structure of this movie. We've talked, we touched on it a little bit, um, but let's talk about why exactly, where exactly this movie fails and where it succeeds in terms of its structure. Um, So the first two acts of this movie, as we've been talking about, are really weak and muddied, as both of you guys were saying. Um, There was a lot of exposition and a lot of needless exposition, exposition at that because it's probably the simplest plot you could ask for. It's a bunch of rebels um, going to, onto the Death Star and stealing the plans for the Death Star to bring it back. Um, but for some reason, we have a lot of plot twists and an entire subplot with Forrest Whitaker's character, I can't remember his name. That, Saw Guerrero. Yeah, that I feel like could have entirely, entirely been cut. Agreed, um, agreed. And like his I did whole, not like that. yeah, the whole story. Like, there's that weird part where they're like torturing Riz Ahmed's um, pilot character defector with like, like tense, it like verged on tentacle porn. It was just, just so strange and atonal. 
And then there was that weird moment where he seemed like he was sort of out of his mind. Yeah, like they like. And then out of nowhere, Cassian just snapped him out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that like that was weird. Like, and we should clarify that this movie did go through a lot of reshoots, but usually almost every movie does. Um, But uh, I'm just wondering, wondering if they they also shot a lot in the that we saw in the trailers that we didn't see in the movie. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if at one point. Reza Med's character was more like uh, zoned out throughout the movie and it was more of a like a I don't know like it just seemed like I, I agree with you HD I thought that the Sagarera side plot was totally unnecessary they could have completely not done that mm. or or not done it as long as they did like yeah, Jetta was really long like, yeah. like get like get, get Jin to Sagarera and get the message from her father like right away like they Mm. didn't need to go through like uh, i mean i i get it for the action sequences they wanted to be like oh let's do like ground level stormtrooper versus like uh guerrilla warfare in the city like uh attack they could have done that like after the sagarera stuff like i don't know it just seemed um that the whole lead up to being captured by saw's men just seems so unnecessary I mean, it, yeah. it did. It did give us Donnie Yen and Bays. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Chirrut Imwe and Bays. Uh, but you could have found a different way of doing that. So, um, yeah, I agree. Uh, I feel like it was a part of. I feel like the, the reshoots were really felt in this film. Yeah, and I felt like that was the sort of like dissonance between Gareth Edwards' vision versus like the Disney vision and like what they wanted to include in the film like uh, maybe like some of the clunky exposition about like hope that and like the speeches that Diego Luna was giving to Jin about hope and that kind of stuff um in the face of adversity those are probably like shoehorned in by the Disney execs and stuff like that so I feel like I would have been really interested in whatever Gareth Edwards original vision was because I feel like he was going for something like what Anya and I were hoping for that really ambitious um like concept of the unsung heroes Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's just, um, it's, more realistic. Yeah. More realistic. Um, yeah, I didn't need, I didn't need that weird tentacle like monster yeah. in there. It was strange. Um, it's the second time in two years in a year where there's been a scene in a Star Wars movie with some weird tentacle monster that you honestly could just cut the entire uh, scene out. That scene in Force Awakens is the worst. That's, yeah, that's out of the I entire movie. Oh, that wow. I think I actually blocked that scene out. I forgot about that. Yeah. So yeah. Like, this is a weird thing that, oh, we, I'll give, if episode eight has weird tentacle creatures, I'm like, cool it, guys. Yeah. Something's going on at Lucasfilm. We need a conspiracy. <laughs> a couple people have a couple different types. Tentacle conspiracy and a white brunette conspiracy. Yeah. Oh, God. No, now yeah. I'm, like, thinking. I don't want to think about what the wider implications of that. Um, so what else do you guys have to say about, like, the structure of these first two acts? Like, what else do you think could have been, um, like, hindered this movie or, like, could have been changed? Well, I think what the thing, the, the, the first two acts are all set up. That's mm-hmm. the thing. That's the problem is that it's all set up no character development hardly any besides Jin and Cassian um you know you barely get to know what Cassian like like right away like oh he's a a complicated figure because he killed his informant like that was really interesting I really Mm -hmm. liked that but we didn't really follow up on like that like that complicated like he he seems to have like a lot of anger issues so like there's something up with I really like the Cassian we're introduced to but then he kind of disappeared for the rest of the movie (laughs) I yeah. actually kind of disagree. I think Cassian has the most interesting stuff that reveals information about him, and Jin doesn't. It's interesting how we get less of Cassian, but I feel like I know him more. I think and that's I because of Diego Luna's performance, of, though. Well, but and we get more of Jin, and I feel like I know her less. Like Jin doesn't really go through an arc. No. Like you can say, like, oh, she doesn't care about the rebel, the rebellion, and then at the end she does. But like the speech she said is the speech that Cassian fed her, and like doesn't it was, feel it seems like it's more like for her trying to get her father back yeah well then but then after he dies mm-hmm. but and i think then he she wants to honor her father yeah it just doesn't work for me whereas cassian so like you said that first scene where we meet him where he killed his own informant amazing mm-hmm. like the fact that we have this sort of almost morally gray rebel soldier like someone who's willing to kind of like make those hard decisions and then there's that brief conversation he has with Jin about how like 
she's not the only one who suffered and stuff. And like he lost his family, and he decided to actually do something about it instead of just fighting turn, this, turn his back. He's been fighting this war for, for twenty years. Yeah, and so I think I actually feel like I know who Cassian is. Like Cassian's someone who's been affected by this, and he decided to take action. Mm. And that's why he's okay making those hard decisions because he is tired and he is angry and he is upset and he wants the rebellion to win. And I feel like I know his motivations and I don't really know Jin's. See, I kind of disagree with you because I feel like a lot of that is inferred with Cassian. And I want to see more of that, like in explicit, explicitly told. Yeah. Whereas like Jin's is like very explicit. Um, and it's, she has like the most point A point B, uh, in terms of, like, her arc. Um, but then I, I do agree, like, her arc is kind of weird in that, like, she kind of jumps from being very, like, I don't want to join the Rebels, I'm just, you know, trying to make my own way, and suddenly she's making inspirational speeches that, again, she's been fed by Cassian. Um, and I was actually, I was reading up on the changes to the script um, that Star Wars, that Rogue One came through, and, like, apparently uh, Jin's character much, was much more gruff and, like, less sympathetic originally. So, like, maybe she was changed to have a more, uh, a like, stereotypical arc in terms of, like, so that people could empathize with her more. But I feel like that made her feel more hollow in the end because you don't actually know what she believes in. Yeah, the most I cared about her was at the end, mm-hmm. and that was partially through Cassian. I love Cassian a lot. So, so guys, I just want <laughs> I'll talk about it, actually, when we get to the characters, because I, I have a lot to say about Cassian and Diego Luna. <laughs> yes, good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the structure, and I think the other problem is that, like, Act 3 is so it's so good, good. For, the most, for the most part, that it's almost sometimes the, the main thing I remember about the film. Like, yeah, the first two I, acts are almost a blur now. Yeah, I think that that is a weird problem with the movie that also is, like, almost like what I think the movie's movie was trying to do was like the first two acts were all set up to this big final um battle on uh scarif or and above scarif like i think that like that it's clearly like the most ambitious part of the movie is this three-pronged attack uh to get the death star plans and i think that that was a, an interesting way of like the rest of the movie almost falls away and you're like okay so now we're in this battle and i come away with just thinking about the battle yeah whereas with most of the other star wars movies you you know you can talk about oh it was really fun when they were on tatooine or Mm -hmm. then they were on the death star and then they were in the space so like you there's like clear arcs or the clear story parts in each movie where you're like this leads up to one thing but you're all you're always enjoying the ride whereas if you're like in rogue one you're kind of like, okay, now when do we get to the part where they actually steal the Death Star plans? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that the movie really soars at the end where you get, like, you know, the hot potato of the Death Star plans. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then it flies off into the Tantive Four hyperspace. Yeah, Although, I-, I will ask, did you guys notice in the very end how many times they said, like, we need to get the shields down to send out the plans? And I was like... Yes, you've said that three times now. Yeah, I feel like I know you need a, to get the shields down. <laughs> there was a lot of a lot of uh, returning to the same things to make the point across that I'm like, yeah, we get it. The Wi-Fi is down. <laughs> <go back> <laughs> yeah, we get it. The Wi-Fi is down. That was yeah. the most intense transfer of data I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. someone tweeted out that this is the most. It's like the the world's the world's worst freedom of, of information or act request. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, okay. that's hilarious. Nice. The The third act was so good, and I agree. Like A lot of people, I think, came away with a better impression of Rogue One because the third act was amazing. And I think that if the first two acts were on that same level that yeah. the third act was, this would have been one of the best Star Wars movies. And it is disappointing that the rest of the movie doesn't live up to that just because like it's so jumbled that Anya and I were talking about this for, beforehand. We were, we were almost bored. Like for the first forty yeah, was a hour of sometimes. the movie, yeah, it was it was a slog. Um, but like, yeah, that third act more so than just being a really glorified battle scene. Like they had such great character beats, and like again, like I hadn't cared about any of the characters up until 
like that final battle like and i felt so bad yeah. because i like the characters i like what they were what they were conceptually but they were so underdeveloped that i was just like okay when can we see something interesting happen with these characters and then finally like it paid off at the end but it did feel i wouldn't say emotionally manipulative like anya said because i like the characters a little more than that but it, it felt like a little bit too late like too little too late kind of thing yeah what i th- I, I the only reason i say emotion <laughs> It does sound really harsh. I think what I mean is that the shots were so good and the music was so good. Like, it was a manipulative in the way that film is supposed to be manipulative. Like, mm-hmm. it's supposed to, like, put all those elements together to make you feel something. Like, films are inherently manipulative. Mm-hmm. And if the movie and was just... like that across the board, that would have been a different... It would have been a different... Yeah, so different, I, we would I be talking say about manipulative... A yeah, and I say that word, I don't mean it with, like, a really big negative connotation. Mm-hmm. I think just, like, the music, mm-hmm. the shots, the, like, performances, they all came together very nicely to make you feel things. Mm-hmm. So that's a compliment to the film. Yeah. You mean it more actually. like the objective way that film actually does manipulate your emotions. Like, yeah. Because, you, yeah, because it's manufactured. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a, like a good like, film will get to you. Yeah, even yeah. if, and that's why, like, I didn't know these characters as well as I wanted to. But the third act was so good, was such a good film, that I ended up caring about them and their deaths, even though I didn't know them as well as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. like, even with that, they were done so well that I was like, oh, God, my heart. I agree with that. Um, one of the things that I was, I think they could have done to make the audience care more about these characters before, like, their final glorious death scene um, was maybe kill off one of these main this main team um, earlier in the film. So I think that would have helped motivate the characters and bring a sense of urgency and... Um, so, like, pull a Phil Coulson? Pull a Phil Coulson, but, like, in a, in a way that, like, yeah, it, it raises the stakes and makes the audience more invested in the film because otherwise it's just kind of like... We have, like, Mads Mikkelsen's death, uh, Jin's father's death early on, but it feels very tr- uh, rote, I guess you would say, because you're just like, oh, he's her father. Of course he's going to die. It felt very expected for me. Um, you knew it. Yeah, yeah, you know he's going to die. He it's wasn't Di- going to live. It's a Disney movie. He's he's like the wor- He's the Empire's worst traitor. Yes. Yeah. But, like, I think that if they've killed off um, Chirut, Donnie Yen's character, um, halfway through the film, or, like, two-thirds of the way into the film, it would have made a much more for a much more impactful story for me because he was definitely like one of the best characters and like probably up there with like in terms of like fan favorite status um but i think that he could have been used to that extent um it sounds it sounds strange to like say like that because it sounds like fridging but it feels like it would have been in service to the plot and in, in service of like making these other characters jive more because um it never feels like they're connected by anything. Like, Jin has yeah. that really, just by the numbers, inspirational speech where she's just like, we have to do this, we're rebels, we, uh, we're the last hope of, the, of um, the rebellion, that kind of stuff. And, like, they're like, yeah, we're, on, we're in this with you. But you don't really know why, except for that, like, they are on the suicide mission and they don't care. Um, and they have the potential to be such, like, a great little, like, ragtag found family. Yeah. It just and doesn't I fit. think. Yeah, I think, like we said multiple times already, that like just if there had been less plot and setup, and they had focused on the characters more, it just would have been just a stronger film in general. Like if they had gotten this group together earlier in the film, mm-hmm. and we had more time to spend with them as a group, it would have just it would have just worked so much better, and I would have cared more. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, Riz Ahmed's character was probably one of the least serviced, and it's such a shame because Riz Ahmed is so great. He is. Yeah, and he I think that's what makes cool. the Star Wars Rebels TV show so great is that it's exactly what you guys just described. Mm. It's basically Firefly, but in the Star Wars universe, um, and you get you know a great diverse array of humans and aliens, and and they're all working together to service that the the rebellion. Um, and you really get to know them as like a found family, and so yeah, and that's a TV show, so you have more time. Yeah, but like right away, you knew. Thing, like but you knew right I don't away think it's an excuse. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's an excuse for the film. Like they should have just. Oh cut no, I'm not. I'm not. not I'm not no, no, excusing no. the film. Oh no, I'm, I'm just saying, saying that like, what they... I'm saying. Oh okay. I'm saying what I'm saying, like saying like, oh, that's a TV show, so they have more time. 
is not an excuse for Rogue One and having less time. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying to justify what I'm saying. Yeah, like, it's, like you, it's not an. Ex- yeah, yeah, like you see it in war movies, like Save, Saving Private Ryan, where all these characters, despite spending not that much time with them, you really grow to like them, and they develop so much in the course of only of less than two hours because a lot of them don't make it through the entire movie. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's that missed potential I think that makes this movie less than great. Um, so let's talk about the characters. Let's move on to them and talk about what could have been done and why we like them despite like them a lot of them being very underdeveloped, even like the main character Jin, who has the largest and more developed most developed arc of all the characters. The cast. Mm-hmm. The yeah, cast. I think, I think the, it's the I, cast. I think the cast is incredibly charming. I think everyone in that movie yeah. is so charismatic and that kind of feeds into your perspective on the characters. Um, Cause like, uh, I really liked Baze and Charit. They only had a couple scenes of like real like conversations, but you had, you, you could just tell that like they seemed so at ease with each other. I commend you for knowing the names, by the way. I think that's also another sign of this film is that I walked out of the film knowing like two characters names and yeah. that was Agreed. because I knew Jin and Cassian. Mm-hmm. Like, I already knew them, so I was like, yes, Jin and Cassian. But the rest of the characters, I walked out and I was like, Donnie Yen's character. Yeah. Yeah. Man. character. <laughs> yeah, same. Right? I was like, and that's another sign. I'm like, mm, if your characters had been developed more, I would know their names. Mm-hmm. Like, I saw the second, I saw the movie twice this weekend, and I ca- only caught, they said uh, Baze's name maybe twice in the movie. Um and one of the, and like they were both from uh, Chariot, so like they're uh, no maybe Jin said his name once. So um, they do say Bodhi a lot. They say Bodhi. Um, I got that. Um, but yeah, they uh, they really like that's the, that's a problem I always have with weird with like ensemble movies is that you come away only knowing maybe half the characters' names. Yeah. Yeah, I agree that the cast really helps with the characters in these movies. And um, talk a little bit about. Diego Luna, who is my love. I really love him. I just want to say that I'm really happy that he is. He has made it big, and he's in a blockbuster and a Star Wars movie at that, because I have loved him ever since. I saw him in 2004 in Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, and he's such a little talented actor. I want to say that I liked him first in E2 Mama Tabian, because like, that's the hipster, elitist thing to do, but nope. It was Dirty Dancing 2. It's cooler to say Dirty Dancing 2. Yes. Come on. And despite what a lot of Own reviews... <laughs> Thank you. And despite what a lot of reviews have been saying about him not being a strong enough male lead, I think that's actually the opposite. Because, like, Jin, while she has all the attributes of, like, a strong female character, she, again, feels, like, very hollow. Um, and I don't think that's Felicity Jones' fault, because she does her darndest with what she's given. It's just and that... she's like, wonderful. Yeah, she's wonderful, too. Um, it's just that, like, the characteristics that she's that her she's given are just so like incongruous i think yeah yeah but yeah um, and i think Diego luna holds himself very well this film mm -hmm. i mean i thought cassian was the most captivating character i agree um so these reviewers don't know what they're talking about and we do yeah we do exactly and i do i do want to say um i love how diverse this film is. I know this has been said over and over ever since the movie was first cast, but it's just so it great. It deserves to be said over and over. Yes. It just, it's so great to see people of color and people who look like me on the screen. I've been ranting for a long time about the lack of Asian American um, representation on the screen. And we have both Donnie Yen and Riz Ahmed. And, um, it's, and again, like uh, a Latino actor like Diego Luna, um, a female lead character like Felicity Jones. And it's just, it's really, that really brings another level of um, realism to the movie that I think it aids it and like it's sort of, it's thematic intentions, I think. I think Alan Tudyk might be the only like Anglo Saxon white guy. And Mendelssohn. Well, well, I mean like in the, in the group of rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, but he plays a robot, so you don't even see him. Yeah, I mean, Felicity Jones is the only white person in the group. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then, yeah. yeah, Ben Mendelsohn as your typical imperial uh, human first. Uh, Australian 
imperial human. Australian. Oh, is, is he Australian? That accent. Oh my god, that accent kept slipping out during the movie, and I was like, Ben, you're <laughs> yeah. Australian and showing. Yeah. <laughs> um, do we have anything else we want to say about the characters? Uh, well, there's not going to be a Rogue 2. <laughs> yeah. And def- and we can nope. definitely put... We could definitely put to rest the Jin is Ray's mom uh, theory. <laughs> well, we could have put that to rest before the movie came out. Yeah. Yeah. We all knew it. Oh, come yeah. On. But it's, like, pretty definitive in this one. Yeah. <laughs> is it? What? Are you sure? <laughs> Plot twist. I uh, thought, yeah, I think... I thought that I really liked at, at the end when they're on the beach and they just accept... I was just going to say that. I do yeah. like that moment a lot. That's like one that of my favorite moments beautiful. of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, they're just, like, two humans realizing that they're going to die. You might as well hold each other. Ugh. Like, the- I love that moment so much. Like, that actually makes me a little emotional thinking back on it again because that is what this movie is trying to do. And it's just, like, optimism and humanity in the face of overwhelming odds. And it's just so beautiful and it's so beautifully done. And I wish, like the rest of the movie was like that because it's just mm-hmm. like, it's such a great moment to end on. Yeah. I think the movie ended also too late. What I feel like mean? the movie could have, like, I feel like the movie could have ended earlier than when it actually did. Oh, you mean like with the, um, with the, the plans and like the, re- the rebels trying to get it to Leia and away from Darth Vader and him like yeah. being very dramatic and flourishing and like as he's killing all of them. He turned yeah. off his yeah. electrical suit. He turned off his electrical suit so he could hide in the dark. Like he has glow, his, he has lights on his suit and he turned them off so he could hide in the dark. I love Darth Vader. Wait, do you love Darth Vader? I thought he was a good, I thought I was like, he's a good character. Tell me why. He's... No, I, I I genuinely don't get Darth Vader. So, like, when you were a kid, you were never scared of him as, like, the ultimate villain. I honestly cannot remember. Because I, I think remember that's... being way too excited about good guys. That I think that I ma- can't remember because I think that 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 may be part of it is that a lot of people love Darth Vader as a villain. Like, he's almost like like the the reason why people like. Like Freddy or Jason is, you know, like they give him, they give people like terror, and I think that uh, Darth Vader was always like a great, like full, like before, obviously before the prequels, but like a full presence of evil. Like he was this all-encompassing like bad guy, and then, and then the prequels were kind of like, oh well, he kind of was whiny at first, and then, uh, and you really don't get to see the transition between whiny teenager and full-blown like. Darth Vader badass. And I liked Rogue One. I liked Darth Vader in Rogue One because he kind of exemplified the terror of this of the Sith that we have come to expect from the bad guys. And so you get and like I kind of really love the pun that he made. I know it's really cheesy and real dad jokey, but I his name is Darth Vader. Um and like the and then at the end where he is in the hallway with the rebels I was legitimately terrified. I've never that scene has stuck with me. Like if like if any out of all the scenes in the movie that have stuck with me and have been like imprinted on my brain is the scene where Darth Vader literally lifts up a guy with the force, holds him up to the ceiling and then while still holding him up, takes his lightsaber in the other hand and rips him apart while he's on the ceiling. That scene is stuck in my head for the rest of my life i will never get that out of my head i thought that was the most i thought that was the most terrifying moment in all of star wars was just darth vader in a hallway with rebels no lights except for his lightsaber like they were not gonna make it make it out of there like like that's 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 just that's the scene where i was like oh my god are they gonna get the death star plans to the to the to the other rebels they are and i know i am but in the moment i lost i lost that like that i was so invested in that one like and how serious that that moment was okay maybe i mean maybe it's just me but like i thought that i thought that was a really effective scene i thought no i like that i i didn't like that scene i think they should have cut after he lit his lightsaber like it was like dark and then lightsaber lights and like you you cut because i thought they were gonna do that but then they didn't and i i was all the more happy for it 
Oh, I think we disagree like on this, but I I thought that that was, was one of the most terrifying scenes at all. So. It was too it was too extra capital E. <laughs> uh, but I like I like what you said about Vader because I I've always struggled with Vader because I don't think he's interesting or I just don't like Vader. I don't really get Vader. And I think, um, but I like the idea of like you saying like in the original trilogy and like just children being like he is terrifying, and I like that more. Um, like they don't try I to make that, him. They don't try to humanize him. They don't try to make him... Well, I mean, I they do... do in Return of the Jedi. Well, no, what I'm talking about... I, I meant in Rogue One. In Rogue, oh. in Rogue <laughs> One, he is just... In Rogue One, he is Lord Vader. Like, he is yeah. the old... Like, no one else... No, no one knows he's, you know, Anakin Skywalker. Like, this isn't yeah. this isn't his story. And that's what I really liked about it, was that in this case, he is a supporting character who instills fear in everyone who looks at him. Mm. And... And that's what I thought was really powerful. They do that on Rebels really well too. Like yeah. it's not it's not Vader's story in Rebels. Yeah. It's he's 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 a he's in like two or three episodes in the in the in the second season, and you know he's just they don't even know he's you know Anakin, they don't know he's Anakin Skywalker. They just think he's the Emperor's you know second hand, which he is. Yeah. And all right, I like that more. Yeah. I still don't I, like him. Yeah, because I know a lot of people but... who do like him see him as a tragic figure rather than. A, like, and you get that you get that when you watch the entire yeah. saga. Uh huh. Yeah. But you like um, him as a villain more so than just like a tragic hero. I like him in the Return of the Jedi at being saved by his son. I've always connected with that. That's why Return of the Jedi is my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that as a villain, I think he really works in Rogue One because he's, he, he's used yeah. sparingly. Like he literally, like if you think about it, they could have made him the, the primary antagonist of the, of the movie and I'm it would have been, yeah. and they didn't. And I think that they used him extremely well. I agree yeah, with that. I, I, think... I like him in Rogue One. Yeah. I think the problem I have with the whole tragic hero thing is it's that it's the whole cool, cool motive, still murder. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm yeah. like, you still commit genocide and like slaughter people. So like you going to the light at the end, I'm kind of like, Eh, like you still slaughtered lots of times. So. <laughs> you still cool murder, still murder. Yeah, but there's, but as you know, there's still good in him. Tiny, tiny <laughs> amount. Uh, Anya's I making wish that face. Come out before he had killed lots of baby padawans. Yeah, killed all those younglings. But yeah, so like, I think I think <laughs> there's too I, many of them, Master Skywalker. Can can my treat just be a hug? Why do you sound like Oliver Twist? <laughs> there's a scene in the That's in the robot in Robot Chicken do, Star Wars. There's they in the in the parody with Robot Chicken. Uh, they have Anakin played by Zac Efron um, go to his happy place, and he's like trying to like while he's gonna tr- about to slaughter the younglings. He's like he goes to his happy place and. And he's like, he's like, okay, kids, line up one by one, and you're, I'm going to give you all a treat. And then one of the kids just goes, Master Skywalker, can my treat just be a hug? And I'm like, no. <laughs> it's very, it's very dark. It's very dark. Okay. So. Speaking of dark, uh, I think we've covered characters extensively, so let's talk a little bit about the themes of this movie. I, I, I actually think hope. we touched on a lot of it. Hope. Hope. There's about hope. Yeah. A new hope. Hope and then hopelessness. Ooh, yeah. I think it's interesting because I mean the fourth movie or episode four is literally called The New Hope. Yeah. Like, and that's why Rogue One ends on such a note of hopelessness. Because like all hope is gone for the rebellion, they have to find a new hope. But I like the hope that courses throughout the movie until you get to the end. I actually disagree because I think that despite it being a very dire ending for all of our characters, there is an element of hope. Again, like, a new hope. Um, in getting the Death Star plans. Yeah, in getting the, the Death Star plans. Good. And just, like, and even in, yeah, like, Jin and um, uh, Cassian's final moments, like, it's not hopelessness, I see. It's hope, because they finally, they got to achieve, they achieved what yeah. they set out to do. And it's, like, that faith in humanity that really touched me in the end. And, um... I, I do think that this movie, like, it has its share of both hope and hopelessness, but it balances it really well. Agreed. And I like when they were like, do you, do you think anyone out there is listening? And then they were like, yeah, I think so. Like, that was a really great moment. Because you're like, they just did all that. Like, they knew that they weren't going to get they weren't gonna get out of that planet. 
Mm-hmm. And so, like, they had resigned themselves. Like, this is our mission. This is our goal. Like, this, like we will die trying. And that's what they did. Yeah. So this is something that we haven't seen tackled at all in any Star Wars movies. Because all the, Star, the usual Star, Star Wars movies we have are the, the hero's journey, essentially. Um, and this is the first time we see something that's so um, dark. But it never feels that way, I don't think. Do you guys think? Yeah. It never, it never does. Like, like once, like once they had, once they like shot up K two S O, I was like, okay, so he's gone. He's a robot. He was very loved, but he's a robot. And then all of a sudden, Bodhi dies in the grenade. Mm. And then Chirrut dies. And then Maze, Maze dies. And I'm like, okay, maybe Jin and Cassian are, are the only ones left, and they get make it out. And then. Uh, you get Tarkin going, you may fire when ready. And then uh, they launch the single engine uh, laser blast. And you're like, okay, so no one's making this out. Not even Krennic. a logistical reasoning for this in that if these characters had survived, yeah. why didn't we see them in A New Hope? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think there's a light, slightly less romantic narrative purpose for their deaths. But also, I think... Wipe the slate clean. Yeah. But I think... I actually really liked the suicide mission element at the end. I thought it was done really well. And I thought it served the theme of the film really well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, dying for the cause you believe in. Yeah. And, like, being willing to put your life on the line and go that extra mile. And it was done well. Also, in the last scene, and thematically, any film, any Star Wars film that gives me heroic moments of rebel pilots i am a happy camper because rebel pilots are my favorite characters <laughs> so i was very excited when all the rebel pilots came in in their x-wings and, and i got to doing, cheer for them and they were ta- and they had the actually they, they did the thing they did with peter cushing where they actually had golden red leader and they 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 brought them back i actually did not notice that computer oh i i recognized them immediately i was like they're dead they're like, they're, they're, they're older like they're not they are not that age anymore they're dead yeah. um i i thought that was really like cool because like i heard them uh like you could kind of tell that they kind of tried to make their voices more on the radio than they normally are because they're trying to hide how old the sound file is mm-hmm. but you could you can kind of t- like it's like I've seen I've seen A New Hope enough times that I immediately recognized that they were using CGI doubles of Red and Gold Leader. That's adorable. That's so cute. <laughs> and like Blue Squadron was great because like all of a sudden you got this new squadron up. And I'm like, where were you in A New Hope? Like Rebel what, Pilot. Like what were you doing? <laughs> sitting on your ass? Like come on. Yeah, I think those were moments in which fan service was done really well and um, in service of the plot as well because I didn't notice at all that Red and uh, yeah. gold were. I think this whole thing reinforces kind of what you and I were saying, HT, and, like, we wish this concept had been kind of committed to more throughout the film. Mm -hmm. Like, this whole idea of, like, the rebels at the end and, like, cheering for them and then, like, going on this mission, this, like, suicide mission and, like, fighting for what they believe in. Like, I wish that had been stronger throughout the film. Like, going back to if we had gotten the group and, like, we had gotten them and, like, their beliefs and, like, why Riz Ahmed defected mm-hmm. and, like, more of, like, what he went through. Which, by the way, now we've had two Imperial defectors in two Star Wars films in a row. Oh. And people um, of color. Yes. Oh, yeah, both of them people of color. That's true. Yes. Um, and I just... So I feel like if this... Because all those feelings at the end of the movie were so exhilarating and it left you feeling on a really good note at the very end of the film, mm-hmm. and I just wish that had been throughout the film more, and that they had kind of just, like, committed to that mm-hmm. more so. And so I think, yeah, the theme was well... was good in idea and good in execution at the end, and just should have been the rest stronger. of the movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree with that, although I... I think high, more highly of the film because I at least it tried to do something so ambitious. So I applaud it more for its ambition than like in its execution because um, it did stumble for a lot of the movie. But I just like I think it did what it meant to do so well at the end that I am willing to forgive a lot of its stumbling blocks at the beginning. Um, An ambitious film that stumbles is often better than 
just an average film. I agree. Um, I think that's a good note to end our Rogue One. One, one question. On. Oh, one question. Too. Yes. Is it better than the prequels? Yes. Yes. Then we win. <laughs> <laughs> so far, we're two for two on better than the prequels. <laughs> yeah, we are. We win. <laughs> Take that universe. Right. <laughs> um. So, what would you guys rate? Um. Rogue One. Anya, go first. Please. Is it it's out of five stars that we do? Yeah, we did yeah. it out of five stars. I five? think, right? Yes. Two point seven five. <laughs> Two and a half, probably. Mm. Okay. Um, Willoughby, what would you rate it? Four. I would rate it four too, actually. Score! In the end, I really like what it tried to say, and I think that it left me with a better feeling than, like, I initially went into it with. Um, Despite my qualms, I think it was a good movie, and I think 4 is good, yeah. I actually expected you to rate it higher, Willoughby, like 4.5 or something. Well, I recognize that there are problems with the movie. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say 5 out of 5 because yeah. I'm a nerd I'm going <laughs> to recognize that yeah the first acts kind of were the worst uh, um, but yeah I, I'm really excited for Rogue One A New Hope double feature watches so the Millennial Falcon gives Rogue One 3.5 stars out of 5 not bad Rogue One yeah alright that wraps up our review of Rogue One let's move on to the last segment of our episode I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. I really, 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 really like you. All right, Willoughby, as our Star Wars fanboy this week, why don't you tell us what you really like is? Oh my gosh, it's like my birthday. Okay. Uh, <laughs> La La Land. I saw La La Land, and I really liked it. I thought it, was really, I thought it was really charming, and I thought it was really cute. Uh, also, gut-wrenching. <laughs> I'll say that the the end of that last that last ten minutes of the movie were just not painful to watch because like but it's just like oh like it was bittersweet yeah it's incredibly bittersweet like if you've ever thought about like a what if situation like that's like uh the, the 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 worst feeling and also like I don't know it felt it it was like it was it was nice and like uh, cathartic. I like that. Uh, but I, and I, I've been listening to the, to the soundtrack like on my commute. Uh, so yeah, La La Land, it's been great. I, I'm excited to see like what the, what it wins. I know Moonlight is also the other favored uh, Best Picture contender. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited to see those two go head to head to head. We will be talking about La La Land more as the Oscar race goes on. We'll be de- definitely dedicating a lot of episodes to the Oscar race, or at least one, because we have a, we all have a lot of thoughts on La La Land and. Um, I have yet to see Moonlight, so I'll have thoughts on that whenever that comes about. But I also really like La La Land, too. That would be my really like, if not for another thing. Do you guys mind if I go next? Go right ahead, <laughs> I'm so excited. So, you guys know that I really like Big Bang, right? What? K-pop Wait, I've band. never heard this before. <laughs> Willow, do you know what she's talking the, about? The Big Bang Theory? No! I love Wait, Big like, Bang. Like, the, like, guns? They're big, beautiful boys. <laughs> That's all weird to say. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so the K-pop band that yes, you the love endlessly. South Korean K-pop band. Uh, I really got into for the past year, and I went to see a concert um, of them during my trip to Japan. They finally dropped their album that they've been um, working on since last year. Like, last year they did an a series of EP releases called Made. So every month they had um an ep that was m a d e and each ep had two songs on it so they released like eight singles last year during summer and they were going to put it all together as one big album and that was going to be their last album before they have to enlist in the south korean military in south korea all men have to enlist for two years um in the military it's mandatory and uh they have to do it before the time they're 30. So my boys are reaching that age. The oldest in the group top is um, 
28. So he has to enlist this year. In fact, he actually is already set to enlist in February, um, which is my birthday, um, worst birthday present ever, by the way. Oh. <laughs> Big bang. So that's, they finally released this album along with two new singles and one just uh, track on the album. It's really good. Um, it's actually not what I expected them to release. Like, they usually do, like, really, like, they do bangers, like, club bangers, really hype, EDM, trap-inspired music. But this time around, they did sort of a groovy, retro, hip-hop throwback, and also a ballad called Last Dance. The first one that was a groovy hip-hop track was um, Fuck It. They called it Fuck It because they're Big Bang and they're the most popular group in Asia, so they can do what they want. Um, and then the other track is a ballad called Last Dance, and it's basically a goodbye song to their fans, talking about the last 10 years that they've had, and essentially talking like talking about growing up and becoming adults. It's actually quite bittersweet as well, and uh, it's, it's a beautiful, heart-wrenching ballad, and I'm going to be sad that they're gone, but for now, I have them... To, with their new music videos. They've been doing a lot of variety shows lately, so like I have a little bit left of them before they go. And they're going to be enlisting a little bit at a time. They're staggering their enlistment to make the most money out of solo releases while the rest of them are in the I military. Mean, exactly. Fair enough. They're the main money maker for their label, so it's like they have to. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that um, Big Bang finally released Made, the full album. And I'm sad that they're going to be leaving me soon. But, you know, I had a good year with them. I got into them last year, and I got to see them in concert finally. And it was amazing. And now I have their album. And uh, I love you, Big Bang. And I'm, I'm going to be sad to see you go. And that we won't get to see you all together again for another, like, five years. That's my really life for this week. <laughs> <laughs> Anya, what do you like this week? Um, Saturday night, I saw Amelie, a new musical, uh, here in Los Angeles, and that is what I really like. Um, so for once, we get theater before New York, uh, because the new musical Amelie is doing workshops here in Los Angeles before it heads, uh, to the East Coast. So we got it first, and I saw it Saturday night, and it is wonderful. It's based on the French film Amelie, um... And the musical stars Philippa Sue, who most people will probably know as Natasha in The Great Comet, uh, which is now on Broadway, and as the original Eliza in Hamilton. So this is the second time I've seen her this year in a musical uh, since I saw Hamilton in June. Willoughby's face is like, <laughs> I don't know what to do with Willoughby's face right now. That's incredible. Um, I know. Uh, so she played Amelie in the musical, and it's just, it was such a charming musical. The best way to describe it is really whimsical, um, as the movie is, and as French things are. Um, but, yes. like, the set the set was really creative, and the songs were really lovely and charming. It was a really small cast, like, maybe seven or eight people, and everyone who didn't play, like, the two main characters, Amelie and Nino, kind of played all these different roles. And so you kind of the cast, you kind of really got to know them and their performances, and they were just very lovely and warm. Um, so you're telling me this is a... the second musical you've seen with Philippa Sue, where there's a series of characters who pl are played by the same people? Yes. Don't they often do that in Broadway, though? They often oh, yeah. they do. Yeah, yeah. They very do, but like this, but like in Broadway, you usually have a pretty big ensemble, mm -hmm. and this ensemble was like a, hand, a small handful of people. It's a very small cast. Um, which I liked. And so it was just it just warmed my heart and I was really impressed with how creative it was. Um, theater is really hard to do just in terms of like the space you utilize and like your sets and how you tell your story like that. And Amelie is really well done in terms of being really dynamic and something you haven't seen before with a set. Um, and they utilize like visuals and interesting like set changes and prop changes and it's just all very well done um and philippa sue was great i met her afterwards and she is an absolute darling oh she was very lovely did you tell her that you saw hamilton in june i did but i actually mostly talked to her about the great comet because i love war and peace so much 
So that's actually what I talked to her mostly about because I was like, I just want to talk to you about that and not Hamilton. I'm sure she was relieved too because I bet all she was getting were questions about Hamilton. Yeah. Um, so it was a really great musical. I'm glad I saw it. Um, musicals are great, guys. I love theater. And I love that yeah. you love theater. <laughs> and I love that you love that you love theater. Well, if you guys love anything we've talked about in our episode today, either Rogue One or La La Land or Big Bang or Amelie the Musical, definitely come hit us up. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes and Google Play, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. And where can they find you guys? You can find me at htrenbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. right. Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll see you you in the new year. Oh, see you in the new year. Yes. Have a happy holiday. And thank Christ 2016 is over. (laughs) Don't say that. Real. (laughs) Something else (laughs) might happen. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Anyways. All right. On that note. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.